0: Welcome to The Money Show on this Tuesday evening, public holiday. It is Youth Day and we've focused a lot on youth, but also we need to focus on what is going to happen to the future of work. There's been no greater motivator and change and driver of change to the world of work than COVID-19. It has forced Companies to do the unthinkable. It has forced people to go and work from home. Many of you would have wanted to work from home for years and years and years, and you would have really struggled with your boss, going, boss, you know what, I'd like to work from home. I'm thinking I could be a lot more productive. I don't need to come into the office five days a week. I can come in one, two, three, or four days a week. I'd like to work home on a Friday. And your boss had said, well, how can I control you? Well, they haven't said that to you because that would make them appear weak and ineffective. So they've looked at you and they've gone, no. And you've gone, well, why not? And that's because I'm the boss, and I'm going to be here five days a week, and I can't keep an eye on you. Well, they wouldn't have said that either, but that's what they meant. And so you kept on trudging into the office day after day, week after week. And some progressive companies have changed the way they work. They've allowed people whom they trust to work from home um and to to challenge the status quo. And for many people, it's been a really effective way of working. But suddenly, The vast majority of white-collar workers certainly have been obliged to go and work from home because there's just been no alternative. The only alternative, of course, is to be out of work. Andy Golding, co-founder of the employee experience specialist Still Human, is with us. Have you found a massive reshaping of the workplace in the last three months, Andy?
1: Hey, Bruce. Um, yeah, look, I suppose in, in in the obvious ways where everybody has been forced to work from home, I think uh, this is a micromanager's worst nightmare <laughs> that we're currently through. Um, and, you know, it's it comes down, you, you just mentioned, you know, do you trust your employees? And it ultimately comes down to leaders' trust default settings. You know, if, as a leader, if you default to distrust, this is the worst situation you could possibly be in with work and with your employees because you can't see them, you can't track every movement of theirs, you you can't do this bums in seats management. But if you're a leader who defaults to trust, this has possibly been one of the most liberating things you've ever done for yourself, yourself and your people.
0: It also strikes me as odd that even in fairly progressive companies, People have been very slow to adapt. This is a forced adaptation and possibly an adaptation that could never have worked as effectively as it has worked at any other point in history.
1: I could not agree more. And I think that in many ways, especially for South African businesses, as scary and as wobbly as the transition over to remote work may have been for a lot of people, I do think this, has, this will probably be the best thing to ever happen to our businesses because we've been forced to this digital remote way of working. We, we have to change up our ways of communicating, our ways of collaborating, our ways of working completely. And it, it kind of puts us on so much more of a par with the rest of the world where in a lot of first world countries, we've seen this type of thing happening for a long time already. And there was actually no real reason why we couldn't do it we just didn't really have to, so we could have, we could have just kept doing things the way that we were doing until we had no choice. And now we've kind of been forced to make this transition and this massive reset of our ways of working and ways of running, building, leading businesses. Um, and I genuinely, genuinely, I believe, I think, I believe it's the probably the best thing to ever happen to our businesses.
0: Okay, I mean, people, this idea of remote working is not new. I mean, it's been around since the early 1990s, since the mid 1990s, since the early days of the internet. The the potential of working away from the office um, was, was seen. And so, what some companies started doing was sort of satellite offices, and people, rather than having to drive through miles and miles of traffic, would go to a satellite office in their area, and they would effectively be at the office, but not at the office, the head office, for example, but they would do that remotely. And then people started laptops started improving and it, and connectivity improved, and broadband has improved, and that has made it possible for more and more people to do their jobs of work from home or at least a large proportion of their work from home um and even to to tap into meetings and video conferencing and all of that stuff has improved dramatically as well. But then comes along somebody called Marissa Mayer, for example, who upends that entire idea of freedom in work when she takes over at Yahoo and she says to everybody, this doesn't work. You're not as productive as home as you are at the office and everybody needs to start coming in and, and working in the old school way. And for a while there, it looked like the, the fight of digital migration had been lost. Yes. Yeah,
1: so Yahoo was actually one of the pioneers before, in, uh, pre-Marissa um, they were one of the pioneers of something called a row, a results-only work environment. And then, as you just said, she came in, upended that, said it wasn't working, and there went there went that. But I think it's one of those, we'll, we'll, we'll still probably look back on her taking away their freedom of remote work as one of those massive mistakes that, com- that big companies make, kind of like when Blockbuster had the opportunity to buy Netflix and turn their noses out up turned their noses up at it. Um, I I think we'll we'll look back and say it was short-sighted. Maybe it made sense at the time, but more than remote working not being productive and people not being as productive as they were at the office, what you'll probably find is it wasn't the fact that people were at home and working. It was the ways of working that weren't working. There was probably breakdowns in communication, You know, for the most part, most leaders require training to be exceptional leaders. And almost no leaders have ever been trained on how to lead teams remotely. It's not the same thing as leading people when you can see them in the room every single day. And as it is leading people when you can see them in the room every single day, it's damn hard to do that exceptionally well. So we need to train leaders differently. We need to set up our companies differently. We need to set up our policies, our processes, everything differently. You know, you can't just take what was working in a face-to-face environment and copy-paste it into a remote environment. They require completely different constructs and foundations to really work and to really optimize for productivity and for awesome employee experience.
0: Uh, And it then comes down to uh, uh, outcomes rather than measuring steps or processes or the time that you're spending at your desk, for example, because that becomes impossible to monitor in this new world of work. Suddenly it is what you do rather than how long you take to do it or where you are doing it that actually matters, which ultimately is what the point of going to work was all about in the first place because you're supposed to have great output. And we've kind of been focusing on the wrong stuff for an awfully long time.
1: I could not agree more. We've completely been focusing on the wrong stuff, but it's it's easier to manage when we focus on the wrong stuff. It's easier to manage people when we're managing them by how long you were in your seat, how long you were at the office for, when you took off early. It's a lot harder to manage by objectives because that requires companies to get incredibly specific about what does success look like it requires teams and leaders to get incredibly specific about, I need to do X, Y, Z, A, B, and C in order to achieve this larger goal. And it's unfortunately, as human beings, we're really, really, really bad at being specific. We like concepts, we like jargon, and we like to talk and work at this very high level language. So to be able to lead by objective and, you know, kind of an OKR, objectives and key results, requires you to get granular into the nitty-gritty detail of what are we trying to achieve and what are I looking for from our people to make sure that they're achieving X, Y, and Z. Um, Google actually offer a great example. They used to have a rule, I'm not sure if it's still in place, where as an engineering manager, you generally had up to 30 or so direct reports and it's intentionally a huge number of people so that it makes it impossible for you to micromanage them. Rather the only way you can be a great leader is to get out of their way and create the best possible environment for your people to be productive and do exceptional work. And that's really what leaders should be doing is holding the space, creating great environments, opening up people's thinking and accessing them at their highest levels of contribution.
0: Uh, but here's the thing. I mean, this actually requires uh, uh, and my boss is excluded, of course, because they are they are the greatest leaders of all time. Um, but it requires your boss to know what they're doing. Um, it requires them to be on top of their game. And for years, we've had people promoted beyond their competence, beyond their capabilities, beyond their abilities. And they're kind of making it up as they go along. Um, and the next thing, they're taking teams along with them and everybody's sitting around the table and everybody nods sagely and wisely. Um, and kind of we we fumble our way through the process of, of management. And suddenly, if you're telling me that the leaders of today actually have to be the ones being specific about what is required in the workplace, that changes what we need in leaders. I mean, surely we needed it years ago, but perhaps this is the opportunity to really change up leadership rather than actually think about how the workplace is ending, changing and how workforces are changing and how the, the world of work is going to change. Fundamentally, if we change the way managers manage, well, the rest of it will follow
1: absolutely you know it's a there's a lot of talk about the workplace 2.0 this new hybrid version of some people are going to be working remotely all the time some people are going to be in the office how do leaders lead straddling both of those you know if how can you lead and run the workplace and the world of work 2.0 with leadership that's at version 0.5 because in a lot of cases and i say this with the utmost respect to leaders you know as leaders ourselves in our own business it's leading people is hard. Human beings are tricky and they're tough. And, it, you know, being a great leader takes, takes a lot of skill and it requires a lot of skill. And it's a very, very rare person who wants to be a terrible leader. <laughs> Most people actually don't want to create terrible experiences for the people that they lead and work with. It's a lack of skills and a lack of knowledge, a lack of empathy that creates that their their people are being switched off and depleted. What we need more than ever now is to ensure that the people we lead and work with are being switched on and grown. You know, people want to want to give us their, their best thinking, their highest levels of contribution and the skills that we needed to get that when we were all face to face, that's one skill set that leaders still need. But now as a leader, I you know I foresee possibly three realities playing themselves out in the workplace. First is we'll be face to face always, so nothing really changes. We come back to being at the office all day every day. Second, we are face to face some of the time, so we have this partial remote, partial in the office. And third is that you've got team members who are face to face, you know, you, you, you people who are commuting at different times, different teams in different places, etc. And as a leader. You have to now create that your teams feel cohesion. Your teams can be productive. Your teams can meet their objectives across geographies, across time zones, across different hours, different work styles, different communication styles. And, As we start to hire people from all over the world and we start to have these really global teams, which is something that I do think we're going to start to see more of, we've proven that borders are irrelevant. If we're all working from home, it doesn't matter where you are. So now you've got cultural nuances, which we already have to contend with in South Africa. But now you've got um, uh, cultural nuances across geographies. So you've got people from all over the world who you need to try and ignite and switch on and have contributing and so as a leader there's there's an entirely new skill set that is going to be required to create high performing teams and high performing businesses in the world of work going forward And suddenly, I mean, the point you raise
0: here is that you can be working for a company in New York from Santon. You can be working from New York for the company in Santon. It suddenly becomes about the skill you have to offer, not your ability to be at a place at a point in time in order to do a job of work anymore. Because what COVID-19 and remote working has shown is that suddenly it becomes possible to deliver a job of work Remotely, and if you can do it from Santon, well, you might as well be doing it from Iceland for for want of a better location.
1: Well, exactly, and I mean, there's there's a company called GitHub who are the shining example of how to build a completely remote company and how to build it well. They've got, uh, stand to be corrected, somewhere around fifteen hundred employees from, and their employees are based in sixty five different countries. They are an entirely remote business. So they have built their structures, their procedures and their policies to suit being an entirely remote business. They've built their culture to be completely remote and they have strategic meetups around the world at different times. But absolutely, why could I not be sitting in Santon contributing to a team that's in New York, in New Zealand, even? You know, in our business, we have we have teams who are in Australia and New Zealand and so long as you're okay with calls and meetings at some odd times and some early, early hours, why not? Why not be, a, being a, be able to uh, give your skills and share your skills and access opportunities anywhere in the world? Yeah, it's
0: fundamentally changing the way we work. It's fundamentally changing the way we run businesses. How does it change, then, the workplace of the future? I did some work on this recently. Um, As you know, I did a cover story for the Financial Mail, and such interesting responses from South African CEOs. The bank CEOs can't wait for everybody to get back to the office. Um, that was there, I mean, And they, again, this flexibility and uh, you know, the, the the way in which they work is fundamentally changed. But they're keen, they see collaboration happening better in teams face-to-face. Other companies like Altron, we spoke to Mteto and Yati about it. Um, and Mteto and Yati is going, you know what, they were planning, uh, they, well, have been planning for some time and will be shifting to considerably less office space in 2021. Um, I think down to from 41,000 square meters down to 26,000 square meters. And that would have required a lot of people at Altron to work from home. And they didn't really like this idea. But COVID-19 and the pandemic has forced them to think differently. And now suddenly people are going, I'm not You know, commuting to work anymore. I'm not spending as much time in traffic. I've got some spare time on my hands. I can get a bit of a life, this uh, very uh, elusive work-life balance. And then you talk to Godfrey Mozart, who is the chief executive of MTN South Africa, and he says, well, you know, this new world of work is great, but we've got to stop people from working as much as they are because they feel paranoid about not being at the office. And so what they're doing is they're getting onto their laptops at, at seven in the morning, and they're still there at seven at night. Their eyes are are square as TV sets because they've been staring at their screens all day because they've got serious FOMO at the office. Um, And you've actually got to manage that as well to say to people, it's okay. It's okay. Breathe a little. um, Use the time to get out, get some air or whatever the case is. Take the kids to school, help them with homework or, or homeschooling, or whatever it might be. But just, it's a fundamentally different way of dealing with the age-old problem of productivity and, and getting the best results out of people.
1: Yeah, and I look, look I think it was the Canadian government who sent a, a communication to all of their employees uh, somewhere near the beginning of their, their, their version of lockdown. And they said, look, we understand that at the moment you're not just working from home. You're working from home through a global pandemic. Those are two very different situations. And it's... I." The only thing that I'm sad about is the fact that the world's most unprecedented uh, work-from-home experiment has happened during a global pandemic. Sure, there was probably never going to be a time when this happened otherwise, but it's the, I think if companies opened their eyes and really looked at the opportunities that this affords businesses to completely reset so much about everything of how they how they run their businesses, how they build their businesses, who they invite in, but that requires a complete shift in mindset. And unfortunately in, in massive legacy organizations in your dinosaur organizations where there is so much that is entrenched in our ways of working that comes, you could probably track that directly back to founding days. And it's, it's sad for me that companies are so stuck in their ways and just refusing to really see that there's there's unbelievable opportunity in this remote, distributed ways of, uh, ways of working. What I will say though is, like with all things, us human beings, enjoy the pendulum swing. So at the moment, everybody swung to this remote work, and now it's all the hype, it's all the rage. And what I'm what I think may happen is some companies will swing all the way back to working how they had been before, because people can't wait to get back into the office. They just want that human contact time. And what we'll start to find is there will, we will in a couple of months, maybe a year or so, we'll start to, the pendulum will kind of come to rest in the middle, where we'll have the kind of a best of both worlds situation, because we'll start to realize that some of the benefits of being face to face can never be, you know, we, we can never take those away this idea of face to face being able to read the room being able to see people see their body language interact but at the same time the freedom that working remotely and having um, autonomy over our time gives us it's you know there's there's got to be a balance that we strike between the two and the productivity hacks well that's again it's that ways of working conversation we can't expect people to first of all to be showing up and contributing at exceedingly high levels during a pandemic when they've got so much else going on, i.e. that the world is in a global pandemic. You know, you've got people with kids at home and all of that, and people are logging longer hours. People are working exceedingly long hours, but that's actually not a new problem. You know, way back, you know, five, six years ago, we already saw companies like um, Chevron, starting to install software on people's computers that after hours their emails shut off France I think um, made e- e- emails after a certain time of day legal for a time it's overworking people working too people working too long is not a function of bad humaning or people you know people over um, it's, it's it's more a function of managers not actually setting the right precedence and leadership not making it okay for people to switch off. In, know- in,
0: in, in 30 seconds, Andy, we, we don't have a work problem. We don't have a worker problem. We have a management problem. I mean, the comment in 30 seconds.
1: I completely agree. It's a, you know, a new world of work is going to require a new breed of leadership.
0: There we go. That was less than 30 seconds. Well done. Andy Golding, thank you very much. Uh, She is a consultant. She helps companies work better, work smarter, work more effectively, and make work less unbearable, more bearable, better, more fun, more useful. Andy Golding is the co-founder and employee experience specialist at Still Human.